That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. That's what she said. Well, that's what she said. Welcome to That's What She Said, conversations with interesting people from the world of sports, music, comedy, and more, talking about their lives, careers, successes, and failures. My name is David Jacoby, and my dilemma is I feel obligated to watch more sports than I possibly can. Okay, so here's the thing. As the commish, it is my duty to help people with their problems. And his problem is one that is common to everybody in sports media, which is there are too many games, too many events, and too many storylines to keep up with at all times. And yet at any moment, one of those things could come up on a show that you're on and you would be required to be an expert on it. Now, because my number one job is to help him with this problem, um, that requires me to give away a company secret, an industry-wide secret, a life secret, in fact, which is that anyone who's really good at their job is probably good at it because of the usual things, hard work, preparation, etc., all that stuff, but also BS. And unfortunately... There is a segment of this job that requires you to be great at BS, which is to say that if, in Jacoby's case, he really wants to watch Vanderpump Rules, or in mine, I really want to catch the latest Top Chef or Project Runway, and we choose that over the game we should be watching, then we just need to put all of our powers of BS together and read a recap, watch some highlights, check out SportsCenter, listen to another show and how they talked about it, and combine to create some takes that make it sound as though we've actually watched. Now, you guys are mostly fans of Levitard show with Stugatz, so you already know how this works, because Stugatz very often says, I watched the game, only to reveal later that he absolutely didn't watch it, and all of those takes were totally manufactured from the cobbled together takes of others. So I don't know if it's so much a problem as it is uh, a minor hiccup, a little speed bump en route to the success that David Jacoby is already enjoying. So your dilemma is, in fact, that people demand of you more television sports watching than you have time for. And the solution is you got it all figured out. You're doing all right. When in doubt, pivot to another conversation and something you did watch and you do know something about and no one will be the wiser. The commish has spoken. This week's guest is David Jacoby. He's a producer and talent at ESPN, the co-host of Jalen and Jacoby, one of the producers of Always Late with Katie Nolan, and has a very long, long career at ESPN, first joined in 1999. Uh, we talk about his unique combination of passion and laziness, a one-day internship at MTV, how he spent basically his entire adult life working from ESPN, uh, doing everything from messing up payroll to working behind the scenes to being on camera. Uh, we get into his ingenious idea to improve social interactions, or I guess I should say limit them, and also talk about nipples. Uh, it was a really fun conversation. I don't really know Jacoby, and I had been wanting to kind of get to know him and understand uh, a little bit more about how he got where he is. So I really, really enjoyed it. I hope you guys do too. That's what she said. Happy to welcome into the podcast David Jacoby, producer and talent at ESPN, co-host of Jalen and Jacoby, and one of the producers of Always Late with Katie Nolan. Before we get to anything else, are you so used to now being calling by your last name that people don't even know what your name is? Well, it's, it's tricky because when I meet people, I generally say David, right? But when they hang around me, they're like, everyone's calling you Jacoby. Like, am I not cool enough with you to say Jacoby? <laughs> so a lot of times I introduce myself. I'm like, I'm David Jacoby. And then someone else will be like, uh, nice to meet you. I'm Sarah Spain, I guess. <laughs> you know? I actually met Jim Rome once and I clearly knew who he was. And I was with his producers and they said, you know, Jim, this is Sarah Spain, whatever I said. Sarah, nice to meet you. Shook my hand. He goes, Jim Rome. And I was like, 
Yeah, I mean, I know. So, like, I see your problem with that. It does yeah. sound kind of douchey to it give does. the full like, name. I think it, means, it makes me sound like super formal. It's like, yes. it's, like it's always yeah. like a friend of a friend. Like, I'm not talking about like in a business meeting or something. Like, I can't be right. like, like, man, have to look me up on Global. But it's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, um, like in case both names jog your memory, I'm yeah. kind of a big deal. Like, this is my old college roommate, like, like Steve O. It's like, hey, I'm David Jacoby, you know? And then if you're also like, hey, I'm Jacoby. Then that's that, just kind of douchey right, too. Also kind of disingenuous because it's not your name, but then they'll be is, confused. But like for the long that, time, I thought that was your first name. Everybody does. It's yeah. a really cool first name. It but is. Like, my parents are just not that. Cool. Not that cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Let's talk about your parents. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in um, Amherst, Massachusetts. It's like a college town. UMass is there. Amherst College is there. Hampshire College is there. It's a, it's a, I'm a townie, you know, like we're wherever, nice. like people go to big schools to like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I went to like the local high school and like, you know, and like I was 16, like going to the frat parties and stuff. <laughs> what did your, uh, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, English teachers, I guess. Yeah. I'm gonna say English teachers. <laughs> Why don't you know? Well, they're, they're, Eng- they're like English teachers, but like then my dad <laughs> sort of like transitioned into like writing grants for Amherst College. It's like, so he wasn't okay. like in class, like with a chalkboard being like, I'm oh, Mr. Jacoby. You know what I mean? But like they, they sort of like, they were English teachers. Okay. And academics. Yeah. And academics. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> People that never go to college, be like I like college and just never really leave. Never leave. Yeah. yeah. I was tempted. I loved college. Um, the the academics part as well as all the other good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, were you a massive sports fan growing up? Huge, huge sports fan growing up. I had an older brother. That was a thing. Like I happened to be like a pretty good athlete, you know. So I could I could. Uh, you know, I think kids. I've got kids. Like kids like what they're good at. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I was mm-hmm. good at it, which kind of like fueled the thing. And like we kind of. I lived in Amherst, Massachusetts, where like Larry Bird was happening and the '86 Red Sox. So I kind of like caught. I caught like some really nice teams when I was at that like eight, nine, ten year old age, which is like when you're very impressionable when it comes to just, like watching sports on the old tube. Right. And so, uh, what did you play? Um, I played basketball was my main thing. It's still my main thing. I'm like absolutely in love with basketball. I played football in high school, and I also played baseball growing up, like little league stuff. I played one year of lacrosse, which is the sport I'm probably best at. Hmm. Yeah, like I was, I was just good at it. I played in ninth grade, and I went from the ninth grade team to junior varsity team to the varsity team. And then spring of sophomore year, I got mono, and then I couldn't do anything. And then uh, was it junior year? I was like, you know what? It's nice out. I'm just gonna like chase girls and hang out. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> maybe I don't have to be in a sport like the entire school year. So that's kind of where my priorities lied when it came to the spring sports. And was there any interest in, in playing in college? No. You know, um, I went From to – From you or otherwise? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> not a lot of letters. Street, yeah, <laughs> Not a lot of letters coming into the old mailbox. You know, when I said I was good at it, it was really good. Yeah. I was good when I was like 12. For you know Amherst I mean? High, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like a, creating on the curve. Not exactly a feeder system to the big universities. <laughs> You know, there's not a lot of college coaches in the old bleachers at the, the Amherst, <laughs> Amherst High School basketball games. Not a lot of people in the old bleachers at the Amherst High School in basketball all, games. In general, yeah. yeah it's, it's it, yeah, you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, I did, I went to NYU 
and we would play a lot of pickup at the gym, and I had like a really good pickup game against some of the players. And an assistant coach was like, "Hey, we want you on the team. Like, you're amazing." And I, in the back of my mind, I'm like, "That was just a good game, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't really have all that scoring ability that you yeah, saw. I was That's in really, the zone. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. probably can't recreate that." <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Cool, cool, 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 cool. No doubt." And he was like, "Yeah, yeah. Just come to practice tomorrow at 7:30 right here." I was like, "I will." Be there, my man. No doubt. And then I went home <laughs> and told my roommate, I was like, there's no chance I'm going to that. So none. this seems to be a theme for you. It's like this balance of passion and then also laziness. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, I was great at lacrosse, but I took a break and I was like, you know what's better? Chasing women. You really just kind of like, out. you really just kind of figured out like the, my core fundamental sort of like dichotomy in the first four minutes of this podcast. I don't know how Well, it was nice that. having you. Yes, yes, that's great. I'm actually kind of um, lazy, so I'm, I'm happy to end yeah, this right now. Yeah, you're like five-minute yeah, podcast. Yes, yes, Perfect. Yes, great. Uh, and Dan's used to that because he does Stu's podcast. Oh, so they are usually five minutes of content. And then Dan's just got to add a bunch of sound bites. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what did you think you wanted to study? NYU, obviously a great school. So you were a good student, I assume, in high school? I was a I was a pretty good student. I didn't try that hard, but I tested well. Shocking. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I tested well. So, And I think NYU, I think it was more just like, oh, hey, like what? You get you get into this thing called GSP. This is a little boring, but it's it's interesting. I'll answer the question. You get this thing called GSP, which is General Studies Program. Mm-hmm. When you're not officially a student of NYU, but you still have to pay 100% of the tuition. <laughs> so fair. it's their way of being like, well, yeah, sure, we'll have you here. But after two years, if you don't – it's like probation. Like after two years, if it works out, you can then transfer into one of the other schools. And if if it doesn't work out in those two years, then we're just going to say no thanks. So I did I did well enough, which is kind of what I do. I just did well enough to get by. And then I was on the phone. This is also like 1998. So it's not exactly uh, – I wasn't like using the app on my phone to put my classes together. There's some automated system. And I'm on the phone picking it. And I wanted to go into hotel and restaurant management because okay. like, I like hanging out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, I was like, cool. I hang out for a living. Like, cool. I like hotels. Yep. And then um, all the classes were at 8 in the morning. At nine in the morning, and you remember that's like Here we that's are again. a no go at college. Very on brand. Yeah, so at the very last <laughs> second, I was like, you know what? I'll transfer to the business school. So I went to the and I no, really the, the the calculation was like, if I'm going to be paying all this money and like going to the school, and I don't really have a passion for any of these academics. I might as well just like go to the the best sounding one, you know? And they've right. got, they've got a good business, business school. Yeah, like business. I was like, one thing I will be doing is business. And it's called the Stern School of Business. The Stern, which yeah, which makes it sound even serious. more important. <laughs> exactly. And it's very serious too. Like, yeah. the, they, the, my peers in, in that business school had very different sort of like, uh, hmm, they're, they're approaching academics and their experience in that class a lot more seriously than I was. Like, I would say in, in like a big lecture with like 150 people, there were probably 80 people in suits. Oh no. Because the under the underclassmen in the suit. Well, they have to go to like, like a financial institution and do an internship later. Ah, okay. It's a lot All of that. Right. They're not like dressing up for like the professor. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> Dress but, for the job you want when yeah, you're still in yeah, college. Exactly. Um, yeah, I went to Cornell, so our our hotel school is is like the best in the country. Ooh. And we would just make fun of them because we were like hotel school they take like wines and we we're like that sounds fun but like what a joke and then they all graduated and it was like 200k first year out managing a restaurant yeah, like exactly oh, managing we, the, we a hotel we gravely misunderstood what was happening over in the hotel school <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um all right so you are you are a business student uh, mm-hmm. and what do you think you want to do with that 
absolutely no idea. You know what I mean? Like I think a lot of people like like oh you got to choose your major and that's going to have some like serious impact on your life and this and that. Like I I think it's very fair to be young and be like I have no clue. You know what I mean? Like absolutely none. So I just did inter. I was working at the New York Skyride, which is uh, the best job I've ever had. It was at the Empire State mm-hmm. Building, and I was hustling tourists. Like if you want to go to the top of the building, sometimes there's like a two hour wait to buy tickets. And I would go to the back of that line and be like, if you want to skip this line to buy tickets, you can spend more money, also go on the Sky Ride, get a combination ticket, follow me to the second floor, and there'll be no line. And <laughs> that's your dual job? Yeah. And I would get I would get a piece. <laughs> so it would be like three dollars and six dollars for the top of the building. I'd be like, if you want to stay here, three dollars and six dollars, right? That's the <gasps> it's top all of the about building. Salesmanship, hustle. If you want to go on the combination ticket to go on the Sky Ride and the top of the building, you get both. $9 and $14, right? Kids and adults. And you can buy the combination tickets on the second floor. Don't follow me because I can't tell you how many times like people would just not speak English and just follow me and they would be confused <laughs> yeah. and I'd have to explain and they'd be mad and I'd be like, look, I said it. You know, like, I don't, sorry, I, 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 I don't speak Dutch. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I can't do that. And, uh, and I would get a piece. Like, they made this deal with me where I got 5% of the Skyride net. So, you, you know, do the math. It's like 5%. Yeah. Six is like 30 cents for a kid. And then, oh, no, I can't believe I put myself in this position. And then 40 cents for an adult, right? And I'm bringing them up by hundreds by the day. So I'm in college in New York City, like, making real money. I mean, yeah. sometimes it would rain and, like, you know, you don't make any money. But I was, like, I was like one of the – people talk about being broke in college. Like, I was, like, kind of bawling in college, like, not, not paying <laughs> rent for anything, right. you know, and just, like, hanging out. But then it got to a point where I was, like, you know what? I kind of have to, like – I don't know how this is going to look on my resume, you know? So I got a job as an intern at MTV and then hmm. quit that after a day, but got my ID. Did you have to get there too early? No, no. <laughs> it was I actually got another job like the next day that was – it was a little funky, that job. Like I, I went – interview was kind of like, first day was kind of like an interview and um, it wasn't like – it just didn't feel like a match even though I loved MTV. You got to remember this is like when MTV was like popping. You know, yeah. this is like TRL – like real world, like totally. Re- this is like you know, grind. This is, yeah, wubba wubba wubba. You know, not <laughs> not that not that early, but I, I'm surprised you even got that reference. Kennedy wasn't there still. No, no, she wasn't. She wasn't there still. <laughs> no, nope, not Serena Ashul. But um, it was like it was when MTV was the coolest thing in the world, and I got a job at Solomon Smith Barney, which is like some boring financial institution. It just kind of felt like the right thing to do for my resume. I was like, you know what? Like, I'll just like work for these trader dudes. So I just made cold calls all day in an office while like mm. traders did trader stuff. And I, I realized pretty quickly that wasn't what I wanted Terrible. to do. No offense to anybody who does that. No, no, it's just not for me. Not for me. Okay. So you have now you have accumulated on your resume, the, uh, the uh, hustle for the, uh, for yep, the New York sky ride. Well, Bell's you've pizza got... in Aris, Massachusetts. That was a big yep. one. My yep. mom, t- my mom was like, MTV. yeah, my mom's like, you don't get allowance anymore now that you're 16. So I got a job at a pizza place, making <laughs> okay. pizza, not delivering pizza. Big wow, difference. Okay, so you're a chef. I was an artist. Yeah. I was a culinary <laughs> artist at a pizza place where like no one ate at. So it was just kind of sitting in the walk-in closet. Um, so what was the job you got the day after MTV? That was Solomon Smith Barney. Okay. And that's the one that you were not loving, but it was at least, it felt like it was a continuation of your school. Yes. And this is going to be a transition you're not ready for. They had this thing called Bobcat, because we're the Bobcats at NYU, but it's like an HTML database. Like the internet just started happening. Like I got like an email address and there's like chat rooms and like it's all <laughs> just like text-based. And, and there was a job for someone to have like just write trivia questions for ESPN the magazine. 
and this okay. is 99. Okay. So I told him I was interested. I got on the phone with a guy named Jamie Blatstein. Shout out to him. He had like the the Wolverine sideburns. They were kind of dope. <laughs> and uh, he said, we need 500 trivia questions in two days Whoa. about sports for a sponsorship. And because it's for a sponsorship, you can't use anybody's name. So if it's like on some website, you can't, you know, you can't. Yeah, I just had to do this for Sarah Lee for the Super Bowl. And they were like, you know, probably just be, just in case you should probably do like some high school football stats. And I'm like, no, that doesn't yeah. make sense. Yes. I'm not going to do high school football trivia for the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, who who led Kentucky in yards after catch? Exactly. It's like, uh, They'll be like, this bitch, why is, why is she talking about football? Yeah. Like, I know where this is headed. Let me at yeah, least pick what I want to write about. Exactly. Exactly. Sarah Lee makes some great products, though. They do. I, I do, oh. I do like, love some Sarah Lee. Deli meats. Yeah. They make some good products. Yeah. So then I just basically I, – I, I bought this thing called the ESPN Almanac, which I don't think exists anymore. It's like every stat ever. You got to remember, this is like back when like people like went to the bookstore and stuff and like got numbers from books. You, didn't, you couldn't just Google it. Um, really dating myself here. And I just I just took any stat and turned it into – it was bad. It did a bad job. So I was like – who? what led the league in stolen bases in 1986? Like 64? 24, right. 34. And I just did that 500 times over the course of like 20 hours and then sent it in a day early. And was like, hey, I just want you guys to look at this in case you wanted me to make any changes, which I didn't realize at the time because I was like young. Like no one's going to look at that to make any changes. <laughs> like they're not going over the stuff with a fine tooth comb. You know, you know what I mean? Like, no, no. We hired you to do the work. Yeah, yeah, We're not like, gonna... <laughs> you, so you want us to read all of these and then tell you how to improve them? They're like, no, man. Thanks. We like your attitude. Come in for a – uh, interview and I got oh, wow. hired as an intern at ESPN the magazine in 1999 and outside of like four months at HBO Sports I have not worked anywhere else wow I did NBC Olympics once but it's like I've basically just been at ESPN in a, in a freelance capacity for a long time and how old were you <sighs> more math 21 <laughs> so you were still finishing up NYU yes I was when an you intern. started I was an intern while I was wow. yeah yeah, that's exactly what happened. And then you turned it into a full-time gig when you graduated? It was all by accident. I was going to go work for Prudential in like Jersey City. I was going to do like a reverse commute thing. And I was going to like, yeah, because I mean, you got to remember like this is weird. Like, You're going to buy a the, house in Hoboken, yeah, have a couple kids. Yeah, exactly. Like at the time, you're thinking like, hey, I'm a businessman. I have a business degree. I'm going to work <laughs> in a big business, you know? And then um, they needed a job. Some of the people that I worked on with the magazine worked at the ESPY Awards. They needed a job on that. So I worked on the ESPY Awards. Nice. That's one of the first things I did in like a freelance for ESPN too. I was Wayne Gretzky's red carpet escort that had to like walk him and take him to oh, interviews yeah. and then tell him when it was time to leave and move on. And Talent escorts. Yeah. Those yeah, are, yeah. There's a lot of those too because you got to remember there's probably like, you know, 50 important athletes there, mm -hmm. you know, and so you get like this, you get this collared shirt, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then it says so you, on it, yeah. And you kind of have to hire these people like the, like, like 48 hours before <laughs> yeah. over the course of like 10 SBs, sometimes that goes very wrong. <laughs> you know, I can only it's imagine. Like, you're, you're well, like, you know, I was on the same one with a girl who was Michael Phelps, red carpet escort and they're married now. Oh, see, yeah, that's some, how they met. Sometimes and so actually the last SBs I was at when they walked down the carpet together, I was like, you guys are not going to remember me. And she's like, I remember you. I'm like, yeah, we were SBs escorts together. And, Congrats. Like, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. There's well been, played. There's been a couple times where it's just like, no, 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 dude. Not that kind of escort. Okay. 
Okay. Well, every time I say it, I have to be like, you know, the person yeah. who does this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like there's, that's not Michael Phelps wasn't the only person who just goes like, <laughs> yeah, oh hey, I'm, I'm just yeah. gonna oh, hang out with you all night. I've been all assigned right. this escort for the yeah. evening. Yeah. Normally, yeah. there's a lot more uh, legwork for me, but this yeah. is great. Yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> like the pun jokes aside, but it does happen more than you think. Where it's just like, hey, well, there's you know, we've got this young athlete who's famous and this like you know sort of like young person that's excited to work at ESPN. It's kind of impressionable. Exactly. It's not 2019. Remember that? It's like 20. You know. Yep. 2006. Yep. Thankfully, I was with uh, Gretzky and his wife, so everything, yeah, yeah. Was, everything was cool and above the board above for the me. Above the board, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Generally, so, it is. I don't want to mis- yeah, 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 yeah. misrepresent the gig. No, but, no, you know, no. I was saying, you're 50 <laughs> over 10 years, it's 500, you know what I mean? You're going to have some incidents. I uh, love it. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of the early gigs and what you wanted to do. Obviously you grew up loving sports and Mm. you had this business background from school. What side of things did you think you want to work on and what did you want to be a part of? It's a good question. I had a a marketing, a management and marketing degree and I got hired kind of as the marketing department and uh, you know, I'm 22 and this is like, like life advice. I would tell people this story. Like I just graduated college and like in college you take a lot of like entrepreneurship college, you know, um, classes and like you get this commencement speech where they tell you you're the future of business and <laughs> and like you're kind of like kind of riding high a little bit after college and then you get to ESPN and they're like here's what you do um when that phone rings you answer it and then you take the message of the person who's <laughs> calling and then you give that message to me and what else you do is you do kind of whatever i say like get lunch <laughs> and this and that like i was basically like a gopher I'm assistant secretary yeah. assistant yes. yeah and i remember talking to my friend and being like can you believe they have me answering phones? Like they have me. <laughs> I get to say ESPN. Good afternoon. Yeah, I what answer a, what phones. What a privilege! <laughs> and at the time, my friend, um, who's still my friend, shout out to Drubner. He was like, "Here's what you do: you take the best message you can, and you make sure that your penmanship is good. You make sure you find out what it's regarding. You just do the jobs that they ask you to do as well as possible. And it's gonna feel like it's taking too long, but eventually things will change." And I took that that pretty seriously. And I still tell people that. I'm like, I know you're 23 and you think that you should be running the company, but like you're probably not ready yet. So like just just handle the little things really, really well and then that will work out for you. And then – Well, that's great advice for life in general. Be someone who if you're going to spend your time doing anything, just do it well because otherwise what's the point? Exactly. Even if it's not professional. You know what I mean? Even if you're just like writing your own blog or like you've got your own podcast and no one's paying you for or whatever. It's just like just really take it seriously because or else no one else is going to. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And then I'm in marketing and I had this one job and it was was like I had to to notify everybody at the company about something about the ESPYs. I feel so bad about this. Rachel Mack, shout to you. Um, she had all of the paychecks. Again, paychecks come in envelopes. It's the year 2000, maybe 2001. <laughs> and she had all of them routed to my office and I stuffed each one of them with a flyer. And, um, Gwendolyn Harrington, who's still with the company, told me to stop using FedEx and, and start using Airborne Express because I was using FedEx all the time. Cause this is what I do. You're, you're like an assistant. You, you send yeah, stuff places. You figure it. And she's I'll like, look, it's it. a little, it, Airborne Express is a little cheaper. Yeah. So like just, she sees me using FedEx. She's just like, hey, whatever. So, I took all those, everyone's paycheck at the company. So this has got to be winter. So it's probably like January of 2001. And I stuffed all the things. Again, this is like a lot of people at the company, even back then. And I stuffed all the paychecks. I licked all the envelopes. I closed everything up. I put it all in, in a box and sent it Airborne Express to like, I don't know, Buena Vista, like wherever it needed to go. There was a storm in St. Louis that night. <laughs> and 
I'm tracking the package and it's like, yeah, didn't get there, you know, delayed, rerouted or whatever. So I go to Rachel Mack and I'm like, yeah, remember everyone's paychecks in the company? <laughs> she's like, well, I told you to send it FedEx. And I was like, yeah, but Gwendolyn, she's like, no, no, dude, no. Oh, I'm like, yeah, no. yeah, everyone, everyone that works at ESPN is not getting their paycheck. <laughs> No biggie. Yeah. I'm like, I'm it's sure it'll cool, get right? there. Like, like, everyone's got a bunch of savings. And- <laughs> yeah. It'll get there in time. You know, so I'm not, it's like they're not getting their paychecks. Like, I'm sure they'll get the money. And uh, then I got moved from working in marketing to production. As a direct result of that, do you yes. think? Okay. It, at the time, I didn't You got have... blamed for a storm and for listening to another employee? Listen, at the time, I didn't have the sort of the holistic understanding of how like, the world works to realize it was a direct result of that yeah. because they didn't say that. They're like, Oh, you're an idiot. So we don't want you working with us anymore. You know what I mean? They're more like, let's screw up a different department. Yeah. They're like, well, the production is growing now and we're getting close to the show. So we really need you here. You're so good. And we thought that that'd be good experience for you. I'm like, Oh look, they care about my growth. Like Drudger was right. But then, you know, then like five years later, you're like, Oh yeah, I got fired. You're like, I got fired, but just kind of moved, you know? Reassigned. And then I worked in production. I'm in the edit rooms doing like, you know, and they say like, and the nominees are, and, and then that happens. I turn into a PA and then you're going up to Bristol and you're making tapes and it's different than it is now. Again, I, I keep saying that, but it's like that time period. Yeah. It's totally. like, you're, you're like, you're like getting beta tapes from the basement. I used to have of building to get a three. DVD burner and like make a hosting yeah. reel and then put it on a DVD and then figure out how to burn it to another one and Harder then snail mail it to an agent with a bunch of headshots that were printed out. Harder yeah. than you think burning a DVD. Yes. Yes. I burned, I mean, this, oh my god, it sucked. This was also like 2011. Like I burned the DVDs of the pilot episode. I actually asked somebody else to do it. The pilot episode of the BS Report. We're going to make it a a half hour show. Blake Griffin. It was a good show, and um, and I just couldn't burn the damn DVDs. <laughs> like every time I was I, a pro, I was actually done burning DVDs by 2011. Oh good. I, uh, good. My peak DVD burning was 05 to 08. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. So you're, so you're ahead, way of, the ahead of the game. You're, you're ahead of the I also curve. learned HTML to learn how to make my own website, if that tells you anything about how it's much a lot of, like, tougher backslash, we had it back backslash, in the day. Yes. Colon. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just copying, like, I'm pretty sure this is the thing that said to make a space, so copy it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to make a space, it's like 14 characters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's probably harder than hosting your own show. It is. All the shit I did before was yes, harder. Yeah, I, I, like, whenever I talk to classes now, I'm like, you can just have a YouTube show, you assholes. You can make yes. podcasts on your phone. That's just what people do always it. say. Why are you not doing it already? Yeah, when people say, like, I want to do, like, what you do, I'm like, listen. Do it then. There's no barriers <laughs> of entry. Like, there's none. Yeah. Like, you've got, you've got a whole production crew and an editing room in your pocket right now. Yes. Like, right now. You can literally do what I do. And no one's going to hire you to do what I do <laughs> until you start to do what you should do. Do it. Get the reps. Yeah, exactly. No one needs to watch and then I you'll t- be fine. That is like it's my go-to easy. story. Cause I'm sure yes. people ask you too. It's like, it's honestly, it's like there's, you can, you can do this. Like a podcast takes like two Google searches and like $150 of equipment. Right. And you can be up doing it. Like, well, but, but no one's going to listen. Like, yeah, that's kind of the point. Cause no one probably should you don't listen. really want someone to listen early <laughs> exactly. on. Like when I think about my early jobs and some of the mistakes I made, I'm like, thank God no one trusted me the way I thought they should. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> I don't want to make it all about me. Like, what are some of your first hosting gigs? Oh, I mean, like my first, I did this like fantasy sports one in LA and then I moved to Chicago and I did this mouthpiece sports gig. Some of those are still mm-hmm. out there. Like none of them are blatantly wrong. It's just like green. Yeah, yeah. 
I so do you remember when I met you? No. Blogs with balls in Chicago. Oh, okay. So that must have been during your like Chicago mouthpiece. That must have two thousand six or seven or something. Uh, it would be I mean, we didn't like that. hang out and like do beers all night, but it was like, yeah, hey, was Sarah, say, I'm David Jacoby from ESPN. You're like, cool. <laughs> I gotta go do this thing. I'm like, all yeah. right, bye. Oh, uh, see ya. Um, yeah. Well, I didn't move back to Chicago till '08. Okay. So maybe it was then. Yeah, I'm but sure the first blog with balls was in it. New York, right? Yes. That's the. I went to the Chicago one. I also met what are now known as the starters there. Yeah, me too. Oh, yep. I remember that when we were at the Captain Morgan Club. I don't remember the club. I, like in Wrigley. It was like attached to Wrigley. Yes, kinda. yes, yeah, yeah. fact. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. That was probably, I want to say, 2009 or 10. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't working for ESPN yet. Yeah, yeah, because I remember the starters. Yeah, Sports Nation was already up. Yeah, yeah. So I was there. All right, so let's let's talk about because I think one of the fascinating things, and first of all, I'm glad that you reminded me that we met because I couldn't remember. It, we did, it always, was like we literally met. We didn't like hang. Yeah, because you know? it's always funny to me when um, when like I work around and near someone and in their orbit all the time, but I don't know them at all, and that's why I was excited to have you on because I'm like I don't even really know how he is doing what he does and, and how people he got assume there. you know everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah like well, people, especially like around the horn, I'll be like, I've actually never met a bunch of those people, but I talk to them every day. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, through I don't, the TV. <laughs> I know nothing about Kevin Blackstone, but you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, sure. Very um, nice. Okay, so you are now on the production side, essentially because you got reassigned because you weren't good at mailing things. Exactly. That's And yep. when you got over there, were you immediately like, oh, this is kind of like cool stuff that I would be interested in? Yeah. I mean, it was like making TV. You know what I mean? It's, not, it's just like making sports TV for someone who grew up watching sports TV, like – it's just I can't believe they're paying me for this kind of a thing. And, like, going to Bristol and, like, being like, whoa, like, that's Kenny Maine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like – and seeing the studios and, and just feeling like you're part of something and learning how stuff works. And Was Kenny one of your favorites? Uh, you know, I'm of the age where it's just, like, Keith, Kenny, Dan, yeah. Charlie, like, you know, totally. it's just like that. It's too – like, it's, it's just like those are – yeah. Like, the, you know, they're, they were they were big, big – hilarious television stars, stars. Yeah. that felt like they weren't real human beings, you know? And then when you work here for a while, you're like, oh, they're real human beings, you know? <laughs> but that's how, that's how they felt at the time. We'll be right back with more That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. At this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash said. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-A-I-D. ZipRecruiter.com slash said. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That's what she said. Okay, so you are uh, overwhelmed but excited by making television. And when did you realize that you wanted to actually create and, you know, produce and, and take over? Well, just, uh, I'm still working on the takeover part. <laughs> I, I'm still, still, still working on that. So I might, might have a couple, couple more years, you know, still got to spend some, send some packages. Um, 
But it was like it was. It's all been a very gradual. That's like one theme outside of like being kind of lazy is a very <laughs> gradual ascension. You know what I mean? Like it was like PA on this and then PA on that and then and then you're like the lead PA for, for your third SBs and then you're the AP and then you do that for a while. And I also had other gigs. It wasn't just like the SBs. Like I, ESPN likes to turn the SBs into a year round job, but it's not. So I would <laughs> I would work on other knickknack things here and there, little game shows on Sports Center and stuff. This is super early, and I worked at HBO. Uh, for a while, did the Olympics, and then um, got like first real thing was Kevin Wilds, who you probably know, um, former ESPN executive, mm-hmm. and I were driving back from a Red Sox game in Boston. Potent- the next day, potentially a little hungover, I think he threw up in my neighbor's yard that <laughs> night. <laughs> But remember, we're young people at this time. Yes. And on the way back, we decided to make a documentary about sneakers. And we filmed a pilot. And then we went to Mike Antonaro, who's now with WME. And he's like all powerful. He's like Mike, Mark Shapiro's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. And with Shantrick Hamak, who's still with the company, we basically pitched a sneaker show about sneakers as a half-hour show. And I wish I knew what year this was, but this was like way before like 2004. the sneaker. Yeah. That four, five, six? According to the internet. Oh, 2004. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. God, I was young. <laughs> yeah, I probably wasn't ready for that job, <laughs> to be honest with you. But Antonio Was Kevin the same age as you? I'm not yeah. sure about his. Yeah. No, he's okay, the same so age. you guys were both around the same in terms of age. responsibilities. And you yes. were like, listen, we're this APs. is how we're going to make our big leap up. Exactly. We're APs were freelance APs, too. So it's like you kind of have to make a move because when you're in the ESPN system, it's a big company that's very structured mm-hmm. raises and kind of like – Big difference you know, though between yeah. freelance and once you get on salary. Exactly. And um, Mike Antonero partnered us with John Hawk who's done a bunch of great work and some of the best sports documentaries. But he basically partnered us with him to be like, I don't trust you guys to make a television <laughs> show. But, Good idea, but but, but I'm gonna just need, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you guys like a show dad, and he'll kind of decide. He'll give you as much rope as you need to like <laughs> learn and grow. And Bobito Garcia hosted that. It was on ESPN two, part of something called the Block Party, and eventually they put it on after and one Streetball, which was like the coolest thing in the world at the yeah. time. Like and one Streetball, I would just watch episodes like multiple times over and over again, and buy the mixtapes and all that stuff. And uh, that was my first real television show where I was like, wow, I just I just like. I was like, man, that went from like a word document to like a show. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And that was the that was when Can it was people like, find it's the shoes anywhere. Now, yeah, there's some clips on YouTube. Um, if you want to watch it's the shoes, um, really proud of some of the stuff we did, and really embarrassed by some of the other stuff we did. <laughs> but it was like it was really just like sh- you know shoestring stuff. I would I would be a cameraman, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and we wouldn't have an audio person. Like I would have like a I'd have a receiver like on the end of my camera. And we'd have two cameras. It was like a three person. We would show up at it's like a, like, you know, Ladanian Tomlinson's house and it would be like me and like two other dudes. And he'd be like, where's the crew? We're like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, uh, but we made some good stuff and that was it really. It was like cribs, but like real shoestring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shoestring pun intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was a good show. I like to think that it's ahead of its time. And, uh, they, I think they had a meeting about bringing it back like four months ago that I wasn't invited. Oh, nice. To. I wasn't even invited to the meeting. I was, Whoa. I, was, I, was, I didn't take you're it a certain way. I didn't take show. it a certain way, but I no, was like. No, I mean, you're definitely, you can't be bothered uh, to, to talk about the show you made years ago. Yeah. But it was, that was like, that was, that was, you know, there's a, there's a few big breaks. As I always said, there was like, it was escalating, but then that was, that was like a thing. 
you know, that was. And then you also created Sports Nation. Yes. Then again, like I'd say that me and Wilds were sort of, and you know, with Shantrae's help, Shantrae was the talent booker, which is like extremely important when you have an interview show. Mm -hmm. Anyone who's ever done an interview show knows. And, um, so, so we were sort of like the key people there. But when you do something as big as Sports Nation, like I always say I created it, but it's like, that's a team effort. You know what I mean? Like it was Jamie Horowitz kind of brought me and Wilds in to help create a bit. And then that three person team over the course of time turned into like a, you know, 25 person team. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And I think you've been in this business long enough to know. Like, I think we had a really long runway to create that show. You know, we had like 18 months of development, you know, which is probably too long. But now it's right. like, oh, you need a show? Like, cool. You got three weeks. And you're like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know? And then you figure it out on the air based on the uh, social media attacks. And you're like, I guess that's not working. Uh, <laughs> Could have figured that out in rehearsal. <laughs> yeah, it was like we were like really excited to put tweets on TV. You know what I mean? Nailed it. Yeah. We're like, we're going to put tweets on television. Hey, it was at the time. At the time. And now it's just I like- was part of a, a pitch for a show called The Feed that was all about like the things that you talked about were inspired by what everyone in your feed was getting into. It was yeah. like very similar concept. Like, yeah, it's just like, you know? it's just like we're going to lean in on social media. And now I'm kind of like, let's just not put the tweets let's on ignore screen. It. I don't yeah. even think you're yeah. on Twitter yeah, anymore, exactly. are you? I am. I mean, I don't tweet that much. I tried to find you and there was a lot of David Jacobi's and there is. none of them was very clearly you. And I was like, so wait, do you not follow to... me? I, oh, I'm going to find out right now. If you don't follow I don't me, I'm unplugging this microphone. I'm unplugging this microphone. David Jacobi Twitter, put it in Google. Put it in Google. I have one. Checkmark. Oh my god. I am unfollowing Do you not have a check mark? Live on the podcast. Do you follow me? Yes. What not the? anymore. No, Later. wait. I just found you. I just found <laughs> no, you. No, you can't do that. Can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. It's just under Jacoby. That's why you nope. can't find it searching. Can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. I'm I do not right follow you anymore. No, nope, I sorry. You. I'm going to tweet uh, right now. Everybody follow. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Yep. You're unfollowed. I'll get, I'm gonna, I'll get I'm back. I'm tweeting right now. Hey, everybody. I'll follow back Up and coming star. <laughs> up and coming? <laughs> How many years do I have to be on? <laughs> I don't know. You just said you weren't taking uh, over yet. No. All right. I unfollowed you as much as you know Okay. That. Well, I followed you yeah, and I'm happened. tweeting to everyone. Hey, everybody. Follow no. superstar D. Jacoby. No. It's at D. Jacoby, by the way. In case anyone else wants to follow him mm-hmm. and they can't find him because he doesn't yeah, so s- save his me. name. David Jacoby. And when you ESPN, search for people, Twitter. you search for David Jacoby. Mm-hmm. Really hard Back to, to the me. name thing again. Okay. I'm All right. Hurt. Well, I've tweeted now. Yeah, and so hurt. when everybody sees that you're myself, not following me, you're going to be like, wow, that's so messed now up. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> uh, Jalen did that to me once. We were we were in like year three of uh, working together. And he's like, you don't follow me. I was like, what are you talking about? And like, I guess I have I accidentally <laughs> unfollowed him one day. Whoops. That's happened to me, though. Yeah. By mistake. I'll be like, wait, I'm following this person. What happened? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, all right. Well. It's all been remedied on my end. I don't. I don't know where you landed on that, but oh, it's, um, it's, oh, it's remedied. You're unfollowed. <laughs> now I've got to prove myself. All right, I'm on it. Um, okay, so Sports Nation, you are casting it and producing it and and working behind the scenes. Um, yep. How did you then get to Grantland? Was it simultaneous? Were you doing both at once, or did they make you sort of leave Sports Nation to take over at Grantland? No, they. It was a, a big fork in the road decision, which. I ultimately made the wrong decision on, which was like I was driving up from New York to Bristol, staying in uh, the court, whatever that one is, the one next to the Cadillac Ranch. Um, right. 
Yeah. I've only heard about Cadillac Ranch. I haven't oh, actually been. Oh, God. I've never had to Jeez. live in Connecticut. There, so. was, there were times. I would, well, the Cadillac Ranch was in the parking lot of the hotel. Oh, okay. David Jacoby, not huge on drunk driving. I've heard bad <laughs> okay. things. Yeah, bad thing. So if there is a bar, even if it is sort of like country western theme in central Connecticut, um, <laughs> and it's walkable. You're there. After a long day of making television, you know, <laughs> kick back some Budweiser's and just buck hunt. You know what I mean? And so I was staying Did up. Do you know I have three times hosted the world championships for big buck hunters? <sighs> wow. Yeah. I've, uh, it's illustrious. It's, I was really good. I was deal. really good at buck hunter for a while um, during that time. I was spending four nights a week up in Bristol. But then, after, you know, and Jamie Horowitz, who's, who's a good friend of mine, was – and he was sort of like in charge. And he's like, look, man, like we're moving up here for this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I'm great at Buck Hunter now. Yeah. But like, and kinda, I almost never shoot the cow. Yeah. I've got a uh, doe. Okay. Um, I've well, got, it depends on oh, which sometimes, one you're Sometimes playing. it's a cow. You're right. Thank Great you. Point. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot. You're talking you hosted, to a three-time. You hosted three times. Big Buck Hunter World Championships. And, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend uh, who's now my wife. We've been together forever. And she was, like, such a good sport. She's like, I'll move up there. We'll make it work. Like, I'll, we'll, you know, we'll live halfway and I'll travel down to my job in New York. Like, she was totally being, like, cool about it. But I was just like, I don't think this is, like, for the – just for, like, our, all of our overall happiness. We're very much <laughs> urban people. You right. know what I mean? But um, that definitely stunted my career for a while, <laughs> you know, because I watched my friends just uh, ascend through the, uh, the yeah. producerial ranks up there in Bristol. And Bristol is the, you know, it's the headquarters of the company. And when, you know, and when you're there, you're you're seen and you're around and mm-hmm. you're in meetings. And when you're not there, you're not there. And, when you're not uh, there, you're in Chicago. Exactly. And so closet. you know this feeling where it feels like sometimes you're just like, you're just like, is, am I the tree that's just falling in the middle of the forest? You know, and I remember one time I did one time. I think they said, oh, no, that was when Wilds around. But I had some like I had some really impactful times at ESPN, which is what you talk about on when you do interviews with, with illustrious hosts like Sarah right. Spain. Mm-hmm. And then so, there's also like down times where I'm like, I can't believe they like paid me for those four months where I was just like <laughs> sitting in the office, like <laughs> looking at the Internet and eating two hour lunches. You know what I yeah. mean? So I had those times as well. And then it. The Grantland thing came around. I was friends with Bill. I don't really know how. We were just kind of like buddies working together and like both being like Boston dudes. And um, he he was like, I want you to come out to L.A., work on Grantland, and do podcasts. And he said to me, he's like, I'm not – I remember being told that you ran the podcast network and I was like, wait, isn't he talent? I'm confused. Well, this, like, he said like I was going to go all these out things there. At once. I was going to go out there to do podcasts. And he said to me, I remember – I'll never forget this. I was in his he's, – he's got this little like uh, – I hate the word man cave. He's got like a – basically a fan pool. Cave. He's got a I pool house. Cave. He's got a pool house that's like he, he put posters up in and a television. And uh, he was like, I don't think it's a full-time job though. And I was like, all right, like we'll, we'll work on that part. And then, long story short, I ran audio and video, and it became not just a full-time job, but like a little mini empire because we had a YouTube channel, so I had to do all that. And we had a podcast network, which had grew to like, I don't know, 15, 20 podcasts over time. And uh, that was, that was you know, like you, know, you make bad decisions in your life, like when you don't go to Bristol, but that was a good decision in my life. Because that was some of the most fun I've ever had and and kind of where I was not just producing but also on podcasts, right. which was my first foray into like talking for a living, which is the coolest thing in the world. Now, when you went to Grantland, 
were you hired on as a producer and eventually found your way into doing Jalen and Jacoby, the podcast? Yeah. And, and th- so I remember reading that uh, Jalen asked you about getting his own podcast. And then you said, who would you want to host with? And he was like, oh, you don't want to do it. And you were like, exactly definitely just pick me because I was in charge and you knew I wouldn't cancel myself. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> it's he's he's Jalen is a brilliant strategist. You know what I mean? He might he might not come off as like Cersei. You know what I mean? But like he's there. <laughs> And it was just like, it was, you know, he pitched me and Bill at the SB's after party. And I'll never forget, he walks away and Bill's like, we're doing that. I'm like, I don't really know. I don't really know that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not big into just like giving people shows like at, at right. after parties, you know? Like, like I, we, but there was an ESPN era in which that was commonplace. <laughs> you know, someone who worked at the ESPYs for a long time and uh, the really bad shows resulted from it. So we, so then he called and he said, you know, you don't want to host the show with me? I'm like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll start that way. So we called it the Jalen Rose podcast, but he always called it the Rose Report, which is still a point of contention where we remember <laughs> things differently. And then uh, we started and it was really awkward and bad. You know, it's like I didn't know the person. So we were right. just like working together. And then over time, we it, it, we developed our chemistry and sort of like our roles and it figured itself out. And then one day he went to me, he's like, you know what? We should call this Jalen and Jacoby Oh, that's nice. And I was like, he you know came what? to you. Yeah. He, I was like, you know what, Jalen? You're the best. He's just a sweetheart. That's you like know, a, that's like that a work he's, proposal, basically. Yeah. He's just, he but asked it's like, you to like marry him and make it official. Cause you, I think talent, especially people who have been famous since they're like 17 years old, kind of get the like egotistical kind mm-hmm. of like all about me kind of get painted in that. And sometimes it's true. Sometimes that is the case, but I think oftentimes, you know, it's not the case. And with Jalen, it is not. So let's get back to that in a second. I want to go back to getting to Grantland. So mm-hmm. did you have a relationship with Bill Simmons in, and that's why he brought you over? Or how did that even begin where you were given the option to leave and, and go help start that? We were buddies. Like me and Bill, at that point, we were like real friends, not just like work friends. Um, I had been on his podcast a few times, which, you know, it's, it's just like – I'd been to his house. Like I knew him. If I went to L.A., like I would look him up. So we were like real buddies at that point. And he was starting Grantland and he sort of like just wanted to just to form a team. So he asked me to come out there. And I was working for ESPN Original Entertainment at the time, working on a show called Road Trip, mm-hmm. hosted by Drubner, who was the one to tell me to take the messages. <laughs> it all comes first full circle. It does. It does. And um, then <clears throat> I had to get out of EOE, which is a kind of tricky moving department to department. And that that was kind of a not not the, the best breakup in the world. Uh, There's different management at the time at ESPN. And then I went out to L.A. with my wife and uh, just like did it. This time she was she was cool with the move. Yeah. 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 She's 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 from New York and Los Angeles. So she was like, oh, yeah. She's like L.A. Like, yeah, no problem. She's got people there and stuff. So it was uh, it worked out. It worked out really well. And then the the job stuff just just really exploded. Like I'll, I'll never forget him saying it's not a full time job. And, I'm, and like, there's so many nights where after like 20 hours of work, I would just be like, "Remember when you said this wasn't a full time job, dude? Like, <laughs> remember that? <laughs> Funny. But it was great. The group of people that were there, like in that office, are long lifelong friends of mine. And there was an energy. There was like a Bill did a really good job of staffing that place. And there was like a, it felt like the way people talk about like Rolling Stone in the 70s. I know this sounds ridiculous. But I'm, I'm not saying that like we were that. I'm just saying it was fun like that. Right. You know what I mean? It, it kind of felt like we could do anything we wanted. The newsroom was a team. It wasn't a collection of individuals. Yeah. Like it felt like you were all really in it together to make something. And it was the coolest part about it. It was structured so it didn't have to be sports. You know what I mean? So it's like 
we you could just do like a Game of Thrones thing, you know, and you could do like a food thing. Nine hundred two and zero oral history. Yeah, like there's just, always something. Yeah, so if you had an idea, it didn't have to be a good idea about sports. You know what I mean? Which has been my entire career, which is like you have ideas, but they have to have a sports peg. Well, this place was like we did like early on we did a thing called the Super Bowl where we just did a bracket about soups, right? I mean, it's a dumb <laughs> idea. It's a pun joke, but like. You can't necessarily like walk into Sports Nation in the morning and be like, we're doing the Super Bowl today, guys. And they're like, okay, um, right. let's talk about Brett Favre, whether or not he's going to retire because that's kind of what we do, <laughs> you know. And it was great. So so you're lo- loving doing it. You're producing um, audio and video content for them. You produced the Grantland Basketball Hour mm-hmm. and um, Grantland Features. You got a whole bunch of awards for that, right? Emmy nominations, a National Magazine Award, Webby yep. nominations, et cetera. Yep. So tell me about creating Grantland features and, and how big of a step up, or maybe it wasn't, but was that a big step up for you in terms of your role and also the, the kind of the seriousness of the content that you were tasked with? Well, was, we had a studio. One of the first things we did was build a studio, which I'm very proud of. It's a, it's sort of like a format that ESPN still uses, that Jalen Jacoby still uses, which is like, like a two-person, one-person control room that's adjacent to a studio where there's robotic cameras on the inside. So there's not like, it's not like you're working on a big show where there's, there's stage managers and cameramen and publicists and producers and researchers. And like, it just feels like, Hey, we're this whole team of a hundred people working on the show where it's just like, it's just like the two people in the room. You know what I mean? It feels a lot more like doing this podcast than doing like a big TV show. And we would produce a lot of content from that studio, but that's really just two people in a room talking and it's like YouTube and we're putting out like 60 minute clips. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily like super snackable internet friendly stuff. So right. what we decided to do after time was we started growing and YouTube did a deal with us that was like a two year deal, which really kind of like launched us because all of a sudden, you know, it's like a, it's like a seven figure deal, you know, an annual budget. You're like, all right, well we can like do things. So we started making essentially like documentaries our short features or even just dumb stuff going on the road with Bill and doing things. So like we started to vary our content a lot more animated stuff. So it was like a, again, like it really just felt like we could do anything we wanted, which is unlike anything else I've had in my career. And it, we started, then we started, you know, couldn't do it by myself. I had to get some freelance editors and get some people in and get some people, get a couple head count. And uh, it just kind of like grew pretty quickly. And it was, you know, some of the stuff, 20,000 people watched and some of the stuff, 2 million people watched. And you know how that works. Like, yeah, for sure. You just like, keep going. So you're doing all the producing and editing and um, not editing, producing. Yeah. At, and, at this point, it was like a, it was like a team. You know yeah. What I mean? You've got a whole leading. bunch of people working yeah. on all these Grantland projects. And um, the son of the Congo, was that through Grantland? Yes. That, that was, was one of the features. Yes. That was a, I got an email from a guy named Jordy, Jordy Villa. And he's like, hey, I represent Sergi Baca. I want to do something with you guys. And, like, you guys like, kind of come to Africa with us. And I didn't really think it was a real person. You know what I mean? I'm very skeptical when people reach out <laughs> to me. Even people that say nice things. I'm just like, mm, are you Deadspin? You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I had to, like, I did some recon on him, which means, like, 10 seconds I'm Googling. I'm like, this yeah. dude really represents Sergi Baca. <laughs> yeah. So then we worked something out with him. And the budget for that started very small. But then, like, <laughs> over time and – it got very big and we ended up doing sort of like a feature about Sergi Baca's return to the Congo, which we made a lot of things. Here's like another good piece of advice for people that make content is like one of my regrets about Grantland is I spent so much time making the stuff and not enough time making sure people see the stuff, which right. is like it's been a huge thing that like I've learned 
that I should have learned much earlier in my career. You know what I mean? Like I'm so focused on making good content or making content I think is good at least, you know, I'm sure a lot of people disagree that watch Taylor's Kobe, but, um, <laughs> but you need audience development. You know what I mean? So we would have really good features that just, I never really figured out how to get people to them. And I think Son of the Congo is kind of like that too. It's like we made this really impactful, emotional movie where you learn so much about Surge and his upgrowing, his complicated family. And he's got a daughter that he didn't know about and like all these really good like stories. And, uh, you know, there wasn't really a home for it. So yeah. we just kind of like put it on a website <laughs> and like, you know, it just kind of came and went. And it was like, we did a lot of that at Grantland, which is something I would tell anybody who's like making things is like, especially in today's crowded marketplace, like you have to make it, but you also have to like market it. And right. you can't just like send a tweet because that's, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, and, and the things that are, do have campaigns surrounding them are a massive, um, you can see the difference, obviously. Yeah. Um, so what, tell me about the end of Grantland, what it was for you, because obviously everybody experiences it differently, but um, I was surprised. I had always thought of it as uber successful and a very unique space on the internet. Um, how did the news get to you? And then what did that mean for you and what you were going to do next? Uh, it was like a, I, if you were to like time travel me back before Grantland ended, I would assume that I would have like a Grantland G tattooed on my butt cheek and I would just kind of work there for the rest of my life. And it would just be like, <laughs> that would be what I did. You know what I mean? Like we were just so in the thick of it and we were, we captured, there's a good vibe on the team. You know, we had a good team, good morale and people seem to be digging it outside of our office. And, um, and then Bill and the company kind of split up. And you're like, oh, does that mean Grantland's going to go away? And you, you kind of came, just kind of felt like that's the way things were headed. I mean, I'm sure you remember that time and the coverage that Grantland was getting. It was sort of like a question, right? In the in the, our little insular sports media bubble, that was like, what's going to happen to Grantland? And uh, I was still there. And then it became kind of like a real tricky summer of like, what do I do? You know. Like, I love doing the, my show with Jalen, which at the time was a podcast, a weekly podcast and a popular internet video thing, like YouTube. We were pretty popular on YouTube at the time. But I love that part. And, uh, but you know, I'm a producer too. And so I was, it was basically like being like a free agent, but it's like super duper stressful when like, um, you're not Kevin Durant. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So it was just one summer. I just remember all I thought about and all I talked about with my wife was, my career and what's next. And it's a really unhealthy summer. It's just like so daunting and there's so much going on. I think I had a kid at that point. One, I, t- I had one kid and my wife was pregnant with twins. Oof. So it was just like bad timing. Yeah. I was like, I gotta do something. You know what I mean? And, um, I had options because I had friends and eventually, uh, Jalen and I were extended an opportunity to turn Jalen and Jacoby, the podcast, into a two-hour radio show, which I believe is the same time slot as Spain and Fitz. Um, well, we're we're six to nine Eastern national. Six to nine Eastern. We were two six to nine Eastern. So we were f- seven were to nine. We were after okay. Bamani. Yeah. We had two hours after Bamani. So I think he was four to six and we were six to eight. We, that's what yeah, I that, think. Yeah, because they switched it around. Yeah. It used to be a six, a seven to nine and a four to six, seven. Yeah. yeah. They came, it's, it's been, there's been a few iterations since we were on. Yeah. But it, it occupied the same space. I'm sure there was a couple hours and at least an hour of overlap between Spain and Bits and us. And then we just did that five days a week. And, and once that, once that sort of like deal was done, it felt much better to be David Jacoby. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? exactly. It was, it was how nice long, to have that settle. How, 
how long before you knew the chemistry with Jalen would work? Because you know, you said it was kind of awkward when you started. Oof, again, it's just like a it's a the Jalen Jacoby has been good because it's been a very very like we took the stairs, not the the elevator. You know what I mean? Like it's not right like, for sure. So like we were just doing it once a week or once every couple weeks, and just doing it once in one hour, and then afterwards we wouldn't hang out. It would just be like a job. And then we do that for six months. And then it's like, hey, man, you want to get lunch? And you get lunch. And you realize you got a lot more in common than you thought. And then, you know, and then like, hey, let's text, maybe hang out and like play some hoops or something, <laughs> you know? So then it's just like a slowly, like, not just, not just like the chemistry on air, but the relationship grew. And then that helps right. the chemistry on air. So I would say that like, it wasn't until like 18 months into it. And like, you get some nice feedback from your peers and from strangers. And you're like, maybe this is a thing. Like, maybe this kind of works. And then you kind of develop your own bits. And you develop your roles. Like, it takes a long time. It does. You know? like, like, were you uh, were you nervous? Uh, let's go play some hoops with uh, Jalen Rose. <clears throat> no, you know, it just it was more like let's go to the gym and shoot around. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right, it, was, right. it wasn't like we're not going to play one on one. Like, you know, <laughs> it's not like after practice with Kobe Bryant. You know? Right. But, exactly. But uh, you'll never believe this. Jalen Rose really good at basketball. Really talented basketball. Player. I heard. Yeah, I heard that underrated. he played before yeah, he yes. became a radio host. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Really talented I just basketball never, player. I thought he just like maybe went to like a local communications college. Yeah, if you and... are if you are down in a pickup game <laughs> and you want to stay on the court, you just get give that, that give that man the ball. Get that guy. Get out of the way. Watch him elbow some people in the chest. <laughs> and, um, and I works. read that you described the show as a pop the trunk production. So even as you got to know each other, even as it became a national show and then a television show, um, the space that you do it in is small and intimate. And the nature of the relationship and the topics you talk about are all um, very casual. And like, that's the goal, obviously. Pop the trunk is this is not overproduced. Um, how do you run the same way you've always wanted to and not let the increase in viewers or money or budget or TV or whatever affect that relationship and that product? It's uh it's a good question. Again, it goes back to like the smooth ascension because it's like it's a radio show. I mean, you know how you've done all the different various forms of media. When you're doing radio, right. you can just kind of you know, talk about how you tied your shoes this morning. You know what I mean? Like you got to fill <laughs> yeah. those time and it's not like there's no producer in your ear saying move on or we've got to hit this graphic. I've got this B-roll coming up. Like it's very much just like you're kind of hanging. You're just kind of hanging there and you've got your plan but you deviate from the plan and and – you know, you can you can use clips from TV shows and clips from. You <laughs> right. know, it's like you can you don't have to clear things. You can let really other people them. do the work. Yeah, I don't even know if can you, I don't even know if what we're doing is legal, but we're using like commercial music. I don't know why on the radio you can do all this stuff. Yeah, you, you get a couple, you get this? X amount of seconds. Yeah, and then the, the podcast can't have it, and the rules are yeah, all different. Yeah, but the, that whole seven <laughs> seconds thing, which is just like an, if if you don't work in sports media or media, like this is this is there's this myth. That it's like you can use seven seconds of anything because it's right. public. Right. That's just not true. Like not that, true at all. There's, n- there's but a single lawyer. Like, eh, there's not a single lawyer or someone really over forty use ever the back SNL that up. clip from 1975. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If nobody notices, like yeah, yeah I think in radio you can just kind of get away with stuff. So we right. can use our own commercial music, and then and then we turn to a late night show as a half an hour, which is a big deal. But it's also like we're just going to do the radio show, and you guys cut together the best to make it into a half an hour show. And it aired at like one thirty in the morning Eastern. So it was like, yeah, we're on TV, but like we're on late night TV and right. we're really just like taking what we did on the radio and taking the best stuff. So it didn't really change our life that much. And then that turned into like an actual television show where we had to pick what we were going to put on it. And certain segments would be for television and those would be the ones 
that we would use. So it just, it really slowly turned into like an actual television production, not overnight. And, uh, and then we moved to New York, which was a big, another sort of like big life decision. Uh, cause Jenna was coming out here for get up and we were thinking about doing this show coast to coast, but it was like, you know what? Like this is a chemistry show. So we might as well be in the right. same place. And I spent so much time in New York. I love it here. I've got friends here and stuff. So, and how old were the kids when you had to make that move? A five year old son who was going into kindergarten. So that was a nice little transition year. And the, Girls, twin girls, they were two, so they were still kind of just like snacks. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so it wasn't that bad on the kids, but like it was nice because Q, my son Quincy, got into like a, a school and stuff. So it all that stuff was pretty smooth. My wife did it. My wife handled most of the like personal transition, and I handled most of the professional transition. And uh, my wife really did a good job with that. Yeah, it's a lot to ask, but. Um, it is difficult. It's always more difficult to do things from afar. And so, you know, in order to keep that going, and there's obviously a lot of work to be done in New York too. Mm -hmm. Um, so that opens you up to what else you want to do. And and what is that right now? Are you producing other things or working on projects? Um, you're, you're one of the producers on always late with Katie Nolan, and then you've got Jalen and Jacoby. Are there demands outside of that? Uh, not at the moment, you know, um, I'm very much like a routine person and uh, right. and like a load management person. You know what I mean? So like, you know, you got three little kids and DNP. Yeah. Yes, yeah. It's like a, <laughs> I got three little kids, which takes up a lot of my time on the weekends. I have like zero free time. And then I've got a Jalen Jacoby show Monday through Friday, which is like a solid six hours of intense work. Like it's not like a six hour, like work day when you're like, take a couple of meetings and look at some emails. You know what I mean? It's like, you've worked in television long enough to know it's like, it's pretty intense. And then, it's a lot uh, more hours than what you see in the final product. Yeah. And it's also like from an emotional standpoint, it's like a high. So mm-hmm. like when we were done, uh, we pre-taped the show a little bit just for like editing and stuff. So when we're done at like noon or like then it's like I'm kind of spent. <laughs> you know what I mean? So my day is definitely front loaded in terms of energy. But then I eat. I work on Katie Nolan's show um, a few days a week. I try to. I don't work nearly as hard as the actual staff of the show, but I just try to be there to help it where I can. Right. And then I take care of my kids, maybe a couple, maybe a little workout in there. And then I just kind of rinse and repeat the next day. Not too bad. Uh, what's the biggest real fight you've gotten in with, uh, with Jalen? Because if, if you're married, it's official now. Uh, yeah, that Jaylen, means it can't always be perfect. Jalen's very conflict averse. You know what okay. I mean? It's like yeah. he's, not, he's not a big, like we don't get into like big shouting matches and stuff. But uh, I think there's been there's been tension, um, based on his like this man just does so much, you know what I mean? And right. he wants he's a, a lot pleaser. of shows. He's a pleaser. Like so, he's on Get Up in the morning, Jalen Jacoby in the afternoon, NBA Countdown at night. He's got children. He's got a wife. Um, he's got children live not with him. He's got a wife, Molly Karam, obviously. And he's got a school where there's, you know, students that his name is on and he's got meetings right. and board meetings and he's got sponsorship stuff he needs to do. He gets pulled in a lot of directions and tries to make people happy. And sometimes he's like, just can't be there for Jalen and Jacoby. I'm like, come on, man. Like, this is the most important thing in my life. And he's like, yeah, that's you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but like, we, we really have a pretty simpatico relationship. I and mean, I've been in professional relationships. Where we kind of argued a little bit and kind of went back and forth and pushed each other that were that was helpful and healthy in that way, but like me and Jalen's is not really it's not really how we get down. We're both kind of chill. That's good. That's uh, you know, that's that's a that's 
That's a positive, although some would argue that it's not a real marriage until you get in your first big fight. So we'll we'll have to have you back and see <laughs> yeah, yeah. how you guys get through it together. And like, a, um, um, one thing is what's cool about here is like I'm at the seaport. Like I'm now literally looking through a window and seeing. Have you been here? I haven't yet. No. Oh, come through. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in New York watching, uh, in May, so I'm going to try to get through there. Come by. I'm watching Stephen A. Smith do his radio show right now, which is <laughs> one of the most amazing things to ever see in, in the whole entire world. <laughs> and like the high He's moon. got like one of those salad spit shields, but it just covers the computer from all the yelling. Yeah, well, <laughs> he doesn't need a computer, man. Please. That's true. Yeah. You think, that it's all not, right up there. He does not need a right computer. Right up in his head. He does not need a computer. <laughs> and then like the high noon crew is here and Kitty Nolan crew is here and the get up crew is here in the morning. And the first reality. Take, the first take crew and reality comes by and like Frank Isola comes by and like it's just like it is kind of like what the ESPN commercials like you thought. Like you, this is kind of it come to life, you know what I mean? Like I argued with Max Kellerman about golf this morning, but like at like some ridiculous hour, like seven forty-five. It was great. It's great <laughs> being here. I can't wait for you to visit. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, before we let you go, and before I um, plan my visit, you got to do the one thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. The Spanish Inquisition is the questions everybody answers and nobody expects. Number one, your Desert Island album. You can only have one. Red Band Muddy Waters. Oh, Oh, okay. you know what? No, I'm going to revise that. Probably okay. like like the best, like a, a, a like a, a box, a, a box set of like jazz. You know what I okay. mean? Okay. Okay. Because I need, I need something I can listen to for years and years and years. It can't just be like red man yelling. I need to, I need different. <laughs> like tones. a Miles Davis kind of blue. Yeah. Yeah. But like, no, I'm not talking about like a, like a, a greatest hits compilation. Oh, you thing. need, you yeah. need all sorts of jazz artists. Exactly. exactly. Okay. All right. Cool. Be a very chill island. Uh, number two, what habit or quality do you think has contributed most to your success? Likeability. Oh, that's a good one. You yeah. are very likable. I've just never been fired because I think they're like, should we fire that dude? Like, ah, he's a good <laughs> hang, nice. though. Like, he always comes by and asks me how I'm doing. It's like, well, he hasn't done anything for like two years. Yeah. <laughs> but who's going to ask Who's gonna ask me about my lunch? You know what I mean? You know what's funny is not knowing you at all. You are very likable on all your shows, but I had no idea what kind of person you would be to interview. I was intimidated by you. Oh man, this part of, it's, I don't know why. It, again, like, I think it sounds weird to be like I'm likable, but you know what I mean. Like, but we, it is. I mean, if you know you are, but I know that 41, I'm not likable. I'm very polarizing. Yeah, so. when you're 41, <laughs> you kind of know who you are by now. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah that's funny. Likeable. Uh, number three, what would you consider your biggest failure? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Is there my biggest failure? Ah. Uh, Oh, that's good. <laughs> what would be my biggest failure? I'm trying to think of like regrets, failures. Um, can I pass? No. Can't pass? No, because here's the thing. Successful people very often struggle to think of failure, which is a positive. No, Because it not, means they don't no. dwell on it. But it's also a cop-out to not say that this. you've ever not done something well. <laughs> oh, oh, I know what it is. I mean, something I'm embarrassed about would be the pilot that I made for Unite. <laughs> Let's just say what that. was wrong with it oh it was just all kinds of wrong i hired like five people one of which you know i'm sure you know dan rubenstein yeah i've heard of him he was there you know you don't know that guy i don't know I oh, okay him uh just like a couple other people that were talent but not really talent and i had them walk through a house that was going to be like a frat house with a couch on the 
porch and they all explained what their different roles would be on the show. Like, I'm Jason. I look at Twitter and I'm, I'm really in charge of the social media. I'm Dan and I got all the analytics. But it would, they like do this. Oh God, it's like a walk through the house thing. And it was just, it just so embarrassing. It didn't go. It didn't go. It was I was, uh, Unite was the first show I was ever on other than one sports center hit. And it was a week before it was off the air. So I think that that was their <laughs> thing. They were like, let's see if she's any good on TV and let's do it somewhere where it just doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, if yeah. she totally blows it, it, the show's over anyway. Unite was not a good show. I mean, no, no, I, mean, I love you know, Reese though. I can't say this. I did not work on the actual show. I made the pilot that was awful. <laughs> um, number four, have you ever been in a fist fight? Yes. Many times. Are follow-ups allowed? Yeah, for sure. Well, then I can give vague answers. It's I, my show. De- depending what you mean, on what you can, de- depending on what's a good question. <laughs> good point. Depending on, on what on, depending on it's, it's all scale. It's all relative. You know what I'm, I mean? Were you like, more likely to be on the beaten end or the beating? Well, one thing one of my fist fight takes is like you people like one thing that dudes always get together and discuss. I, this is I mean, this is mainly a dude thing. It's like dudes always get together and discuss like weird drug experiences mm-hmm. and fist fights, fight experiences. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like I've lived a very, very – I've had a wide array of experiences that are much better talking about than like <laughs> me getting in a fight. You know, you know what I mean? All right, all right. No, I, we no, can I'm get not to saying... some of those. I'm intrigued by people's fist fight experiences yes. because some people are like, oh, all the time. And then other people are like once no. in fourth grade yeah. and that was it. <laughs> a, f- a few times. All right. I, would, I would say a, f- a few few times we'll handful. move on from we'll this very touchy subject of fist fighting uh-huh. and move on to the weirdest drug you've done no i'm just kidding oh, number okay. five <laughs> if you could switch lives with anyone for a day who would it be oh it's good oh that's pretty easy i mean it, it, it's annoying but i would just i would i really love the sport of basketball and i would love to just be like a really good basketball player like like i would just love to be like steph curry for a day mm. you know and That'll just like nice have feeling. a game and score 35 and like be all handsome and like fun <laughs> and like do a funny post game interview and like hang out with my teammates and then just like go to sleep sounds pretty good sounds not too bad number 6 what's the most embarrassed you've ever been Mm, probably when I said mescaline about 20 seconds ago. <laughs> oh, God. These are good. I don't like this part of the podcast. Um, what's the most embarrassed I've ever been? I've been embarrassed. The Unite pilot. No, um, the most embarrassed I've ever been. I've done some really embarrassing things. It's just hard to, like, pull them up. Um, oh, they usually involve tough. school, women, yeah. bowel movements. Oh, well, that one's – I was a little too young to care about that particular one. But um, I did a uh, I, I I made out with this girl back when making out was cool. It was probably eighth grade. It was like a big deal. Um, and the next morning I came into school and Amber, the, I literally just opened the door and her locker was like near the door. And Amber looks at me. And she goes, "Disgusting Frencher," <laughs> and I didn't even I didn't know what it meant. But over the course of the day, clearly the girl I had made out with had given notes to all of the other cute girls oh, in eighth no. grade that I was a very sloppy, gross <laughs> kisser. 
<laughs> so it was like, and that's it, such a big deal at that age. Yeah, it, I mean, it was it's everything. It, it was everything at that age. It was like it was so, so then I just turned into like Euron Greyjoy for the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, what do you think? What do, what do you think? Can I kiss? Can I kiss? <laughs> How am I doing? How am yeah, I doing? Is everything cool? I had a guy that I heard was a terrible kisser, and I was like, I think she's just mean for saying it and telling everybody. And then like two months later, was on the occasion of on a date with him and kissed him, and he like licked the side of my face, and also while. I mean, age 16, like nothing major was happening. We were basically just kissing. He was doing the, oh, Sarah. And I'm like, okay, we're just kissing. Yeah, that's, like, you've that's, taking it too far. I completely understand where that girl was coming yeah, from. And yeah. this is never happening again. It was, but nothing will make, <laughs> nothing will make you dial it back than like having the entire, all of the School. cute girls in eighth grade just kind of like, cause it wasn't just Amber. Amber was the first wave of attack. It lasted oh, no. for the entire oh, no. day. Yeah. Oh. It was a thing. It was a thing. It was a, it was a tough day. Um, You've opened me up to share the embarrassing moment that was my junior prom, and I had a big crush on this dude, and we were canoodling afterwards, and he fell asleep on me because he had drank oh. a lot, and I did not drink at the time. And I was like, oh, we're, we're super tired. It's three in the morning, whatever. And the next day at school, he was telling people he passed out from the altitude. Okay. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Because of the peaks. <laughs> where were we in a, where, <laughs> yeah. Where were so we in Illinois was, at that point? Where, that where, was, uh, Machu Picchu? You yeah, guys had a, you yeah. had an offsite prom? Um, no, it was not offsite. <laughs> uh, I'm referring to my anatomy in a very, uh, subtle way. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh, Peaks, oh, mountains. oh, oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not that smart. I, I don't yeah, know if I, well, we should have established that. I'm trying that. to be subtle, which is not my forte. We should have, yeah, we should have, we should have cleared, <laughs> made it clear early in the, the podcast. Yeah. If you're using any sort of like verbal tricks, <laughs> double entendres, they will go right over my head. Yeah, yeah. And so I was absolutely mortified. Uh, very, very mortified. Um, number seven, the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? My nipples. <laughs> What's wrong with I've them? I've got huge poofy nipples. <laughs> They bother me so much. I'm telling oh, you, sucks. it's all I see. When and when I look in the mirror, it's just like the only thing I look at. Like when I look at certain shirts, I'm like, my nipples are gonna pop through these shirts. Oh no, it affects your wardrobe. Yeah, as well. and if I, if I like get out of like like a, the cold ocean and my nipples are super hard and small, I'm like, can't you just stay like stay that? Like, that like I would, I, I honestly, I would, I would spend like like, like probably twenty thousand dollars if someone it's, could just it's guarantee. Probably a thing. I'm sure guarantee, it's a thing. Yeah. Oh, I had they got infected one time. Like I played oh, a lot of basketball. No. They got infected. They were bleeding. So I would have oh, like a like white... when people do marathons and the shirt yeah. rubs. Well, yeah. I bought. I did a marathon, so I had to buy. I've got like nipple covers now. Right. I had to buy some actual things. I had to get them. Like have you ever from worn Japan. them when you weren't running because you wanted to make sure your nipples didn't show on your shirt? No, it's 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 more of the protrusion from the shirt than the oh, showing okay. part. You mm. know what I mean? Yep. And uh yeah. so yeah, that's it's it's you know, everyone's got kinda like the one thing that they're hung up on totally. basically about themselves and like that's that's far and away <laughs> far, far and away mine. Uh number eight, if you could play commish for a day, what one rule would you enforce that all of society had to adhere to? Well it's kind of like one of my inventions, it's called the purple circle. Um okay. I'll pitch it to you. It, it sounds a, like this is still deeply, no, no, deeply no, no, no. rooted no, in your nipple problems. <laughs> That's a great point. That's a great point. <laughs> the second I said that, I was like, no, no, no. no. Also purple circles, but uh, no. Um, it's a small pin. That's like a lapel pin. It's a small okay. purple circle. And if you put it on, it's just a polite way of telling the world that you're not interested in small talk. Ooh, you know? So if you go to a bar, magical. if you go to a bar, like, you know what? Sometimes I'm very talkative. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sociable. I talk a lot. Like I'm, I'm those people that like talk over everybody else, and like I have to remind myself not to talk. And you know, you know those people. I'm one of those people. And uh, but sometimes I'm just not here for that. And I want to get in an Uber, and they look in the rearview mirror, and they see my purple circle, and they just keep it moving. You go to a I bar, like that. 
I go like to the bar. That. He says, "What do you want?" I say, "Like a Bud Light," and he gives me a Bud Light. And then that's away. it. End yeah. of transaction. Exactly. Um, I agree with that concept wholeheartedly, except for occasionally, but only very rarely, are you not in the mood, and then it actually puts you in a better mood, and you're like, "Wow, what a serendipitous occasion!" I'm glad that I was open to that. And I'll, that wouldn't I'll, happen with the purple circle. I will trade all of those in. <laughs> For the, That's uh, for, a good yeah. point. He yeah. doesn't make up for all the other times. Exactly. I feel, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm going to end up on the ledger here in terms of interaction. I really with want you to do that anyway and just pretend like people should know. No. And then when someone starts talking, you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, purple circle. Purple, purple, purple <laughs> just circle. Just like people like, what? Yeah, that would get them to stop talking to me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would probably have the same effect. <laughs> no, bro, purple circle. Yep. Uh, number nine, what's the most scared you've ever been? Oh God, these are good. These are good. Um, the most scared of ah, there's like physical danger. There's like emotional danger. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, if we're being serious, it's like probably like when my parents got divorced. You know what I mean? Like when I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah. That's probably, that's the most scared I've ever been. It I was is. also like running from gunshots at Brooklyn at one point. I was Ooh, like, what? And I like, they weren't for they, sure. They weren't at me, but it was like right. a, it was like but they were like coming towards me. And I, I'll never forget getting on the bus. I was with my friend Jamal, who's his neighborhood, by the way. And he was like, "Get on that bus." I was like, "I don't, I don't have a token. I don't have a metro card." Like, so I just get on the bus. I'm like, "They're shooting." So the bus driver's like, "Whatever." And yeah. then before he closes the door, the dude they're shooting at gets on the bus. <gasps> no. So we're all, but it's like I think the people that were shooting at him were pretty far away at that point. The bus driver closed the door and drove away. But oh. you have no idea. Like, there's probably ten other people on the bus. We're all looking at this dude like, bro. <laughs> Don't bring this just, to us. It was a pretty, it was a pretty awkward. It was a pretty awkward <laughs> few blocks before he got <laughs> off. We're all looking at him like every time you stop, you, you, you all turned around yeah. and ducked your heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh wow, yeah. that's terrible. Yeah, but that was, um, that was quite some time ago. Yeah. Uh, number ten. What three words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Not like a phrase, but like three separate words. Oh, three separate words. Uh. Ah, loyal, trustworthy, great nipples. Oh, that's, sorry, that's four words. I'll allow it. Loyal? Okay, okay, good, good, good. Uh, and the bonus, who should I have on this podcast? Who would be a good person to talk to? Good person to talk to on this podcast? Um, hmm. In sports, in sports only, we're, really doing, we're doing out of sports, right? Who would be someone that you should have on the podcast? I would say someone who's like a little like sort of like off the beaten path. Well, oh, I know. I've got it. I've got it. Um, this person who I'm about to tell you, <laughs> I've been producing for 20 years. Wow. This person is a star. Okay. fide television star that just isn't on television yet. It's insane. His name is Wesley Morris. He's a writer for the New York Times. Okay. He has his own podcast. He worked with us at Grantland. He is an absolute star. All right. Star. Let's let's help make him one. He uh, it's it's just it's weird that it hasn't happened yet. It's honestly it's like there's like an 8-foot dude in like just that lives in Chicago that can just like jump, just like Giannis. And the Bulls you know are like, I mean? nah. yeah, And you just don't know what happened. He's just like, what do you mean professional basketball? Never heard of that. You know, it's just like, <laughs> he's just, I just play basketball every day and dominate the Y. It's like, it's honestly like that. It's like, why are you, why are you here? 
instead of like there. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's how I feel about Wesley Morris. Uh, those people are intimidating too when they just like have it. Because yeah. you're like, I should stop doing things. He's I'm handsome. not that person. He's handsome. He dresses yeah. really well. It's just. I like, think maybe I'll unfollow you and start following him. You should. You should. <laughs> and and also Rembert Brown is just like one of the greatest people. In the yeah, world. yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't had Rembert, but uh, all right, cool. I will. I'll look into Wesley Morris. Hey, thanks for hanging out. This was fun, and I am no longer intimidated by you, and you are very likable. Yeah, I feel like we're like buddies now, and I'll Totes. follow. I'm now. I'm gonna follow you on Twitter. <laughs> okay, came full circle. <laughs> thanks, Jacoby. Of course. Bye. That's what she said. Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. Each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. The Tissot Chrono XL is a great watch for those looking for a sporty chronograph with Swiss technology at an unbeatable price. While the Tissot PR100 family of watches brings together sporty and feminine details for a collection that's bold, romantic, and ideal for the modern woman. Shop Tissot at us.tissotshop.com and at select watch and jewelry stores nationwide. That's what she said. It's time once again for South Bitch Sessions, where I rant about something that bothers me and I fix it. And this week, it's very simple. It's the word realtor. It's spelled R-E-A-L-T-O-R. I never noticed until my husband changed careers a couple years ago and became a realtor, but a lot of people pronounce it realtor. Now, that makes no sense whatsoever because the L is after the A, not before it. Realtor, not realtor. This might seem insignificant to you, meaningless even, but imagine if your spouse's job was repeated to you over and over incorrectly and it was an omnipresent part of your life. Let's say your spouse was a lawyer and they were always referred to as a lawer and you had to hear it mispronounced all the time. Or maybe he or she is an architect or a biologist or an accountant or a magener. It's starting to get annoying now, right? Because none of those things make sense. And very clearly, the spelling of those words should tell you how to pronounce it. And speaking of my husband, I want to let you guys know he's not a billionaire. I bring this up because for a while, it was funny that some random website inexplicably said he's a billionaire and then other websites picked it up and ran with it. And I wasn't really going to complain since the same website said that I'm 30 years old, hot and sexy with a 25-inch waist and the perfect hourglass shape. I mean, they're doing their best, right? So why would I need to correct them? Except that I am now seeing it more and more on my social media feeds, people commenting about my billionaire husband. And just the other day, some jackhole commented on the charity I started, Hear the Cheers, which is currently in its annual month of raising money to get kids the hearing aids and equipments that they need that aren't covered by insurance. And he asked to everyone on the Internet why anyone should be giving us donations when my billionaire husband should just be giving me the money. And on the same exact day, a potential client asked my husband if he'd be motivated to work hard for them, you know, since when they Googled him, it says he's a billionaire. So, please, people, I have to draw the line on stupidity somewhere. I want you all to think I have a 25-inch waist and the perfect body. But I more importantly want you to know how to read the Internet. I swear one day if I snap, it's probably going to be about this. If the site is called news.com with five Zs, don't get your news there. Okay, you got to know when you can trust a source for correct information. And then also when you're on some garbage clickbaity site written by bots. And I'm sorry to say my husband is not a billionaire and you should definitely give to my charity here the cheers. And if you want to keep thinking that I'm 30 and I have a 25 inch waist, that's fine. Also, please say realtor, please. Okay. I feel good about what we accomplished today. It's realtor, not realtor. My husband is not a billionaire and learn how to read the Internet. There, I fixed it. 
Hey guys, don't forget to check out Katie Nolan's podcast, Sports. In her most recent episode, she discusses Magic Johnson's departure from the Lakers, very Cavalry, and picks who she thinks will end up on the Iron Throne in Game of Thrones. Download and subscribe to Sports on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's what she said. If you've got a dilemma for the commission to fix, tweet it to me, at Sarah Spain, or go to the iTunes or podcast app, subscribe, rate, and review, and leave the dilemma in your review. I'm getting some good ones, so some of these listener dilemmas are going to be coming up in the next couple weeks. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 